Every book has a spiel, a bit of a short paragraph in the front cover letting you know in glowing terms how great this book that you have in your hands is, why it's a must read. If you believe every single one of those spiels, you'd have to be led to the conclusion that every book is a great book. There's no waste or a waste of uh, time reading any book, really, but it's not true. I'm going to read to you one such spiel out of a book. Um, there'll be a prize for the person who hasn't been at church yet today, uh, who can correctly identify the book from the spiel. And so, Tim, I'll need your help because I'll be reading it. If you can come up to the front and tell me, first person to put up their hand is the first person that gets to uh, uh, answer the question, but after I've read the spiel, okay, not before, but... Once you've worked it out, put up your hand. And Rachel, you're not allowed to work it out either. <laughs> Rachel's my daughter, by the way, if you don't know. Um, this is a classic tale of love and high adventure. What's it about? Fencing, fighting, true love, strong hate, harsh revenge, a few giants, lots of bad men, lots of good men, some swell escapes and captures, death, lies, truth, miracles. Who was first? You're right. <laughs> you can take that up to Michelle. Who here hasn't seen or read A Princess Bride? Wow, I thought this was going to be the one that had the least people uh, having actually seen or read it. If you haven't, it's a great tale. The movie's even better. I never get sick of watching it. You ask my kids if I ever get sick of watching it, and they'll say, inconceivable. <laughs> and I would say... I don't think you know the meaning of that word. But anyway, if you haven't read it or watched it, you need to. You need to be educated. Uh, the Book of Mark is no less a classic tale. It's a tale of true love, of strong hate, of harsh revenge, lots of bad men, a great man. Death, lies, truth, miracles, unexpected defeat, yet astounding victory. The Gospel of Mark is written by a profoundly gifted storyteller. But the Gospel of Mark is more than just a fairy tale. In fact, it's not a fairy tale at all. Mark's story of Christ is true. The things he wrote about really happened in space and time, witnessed by people who were there. And if you were in Palestine, if you happen to be there, just on 2,000 years ago, you would have met Jesus. You could have met him, seen him, heard him, and seeing what he did. Mark's Gospel is not a fairy tale, and unlike The Princess Bride, this story, this narrative, has massive implications on all the different aspects of life, of our own lives, relationships, work, leisure, money, study, politics, love. Jesus' words takes each of those and turns it on its head, and turns us on our heads too. I've loved Mark's Gospel ever since I first read it. I've read it countless times, preached through it, or in part three times, taught it as part of BBC, PTC, been part of the Mark drama, acted it out, and I never get tired of this narrative. I'm always struck by things afresh. I'm always confronted by the person of Jesus, his word, his works, moved by his strength and his compassion, his anger, his words of truth that reveal the lies I tell myself. It's a fantastic narrative. So let's pray again that God would confront us in the person of Jesus as we rediscover again who he is, what he came to do and what all that means. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the wonder of your word. We thank you that you have spoken in the person of your son. 
Father, help us not to be so familiar with this that we just let it wash past us. Help us instead to be struck by the wonder of who you are in the person of Jesus, what you have done, what you say, and what it means for our life, what it means for the way that we think and the way that we live and the way that we speak. Help us leave here changed people today. Amen. So last week, we finished off at chapter 2, verse 17, after Jesus healed the paralytic and revealed the core problem of humanity, if you remember back that far, and that problem was our sin. And he said these words in 2, verse 17, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And now we jump ahead to chapter 4, we fast forward to these parables. Next week, God willing, Tim will take us back to the end of chapter 2. But let's jump in here. Let's get our bearings because we are jumping forward. Let's work out where we are in the story. Let's recap. Mark, in his opening sentence, has already told us what this narrative is about. Chapter 1, verse 1, thinking right back to then, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's a bit like the words you would read on the, on the inside cover of a book, telling you why you really need to read it. This book brings astonishing news. That's what gospel really means, astonishing news. News that would change the world. And here Mark introduces us to the hero in the opening verse, Jesus the Christ, God's chosen, eternal, anointed king. The king enters the stage of Mark's narrative, opens his mouth for the first time, 1 verse 15. He says, the, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is, has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news is this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Mark's gospel is a gospel of nothing less than the kingdom of God. But what is this kingdom? What does it mean to be a part of it? How do you get into it? We'll in part start exploring that today as we look at the parables of the kingdom. But before we do, we also see that this gospel centers on Jesus, the king of the kingdom, who comes with astonishing authority. As a recap of what we've seen so far, what have we seen? We've seen his awesome authority as God's chosen king. He calls people and they just come. He touches lepers and they're healed. He commands demons and they obey. He tells cripples to get up and they walk. As we saw last week, all of these authorities really is appointed to his greatest and most important authority, and that is the authority to forgive our sin. But with all this power... With all this authority, with all the fulfilment of the hopes and dreams of the nation of Israel, in chapter 2, we, we see the storms of opposition beginning to build up. We see the, the scribes and the Pharisees questioning why he eats with sinners and tax collectors. And then in the passages between end of chapter 2 and end of chapter 3, that Tim will take it through in the next two weeks, his family think he's mad. And the religious leaders think Jesus is possessed by Satan. And they're so offended by what he says, they're plotting to kill him by the end of chapter 3. In the face of this growing opposition and the rejection of the kingdom that he's bringing in, the misunderstanding, he goes and he speaks. He teaches by the lake. On a beach in the sea, uh, near the Sea of Galilee, crowds are following him, making it hard for him to get a place where he can speak to them all so that they can hear, and so he gets into a boat. He just pushes just offshore, and he begins teaching the crowds in the midst of this gathering storm of opposition. Mark chapter 4 is one of the extended teaching sections in Mark. We've already seen that Jesus prioritised teaching over healing. 
Teaching for him was priority one. So when, when, G, when we hear Jesus' words in chapter 4, we need to stop and we need to listen. This chapter is key in Mark's gospel. Now, if you were here in January, we went through a number of different parables, including the parable of the sower. So we're going to skip through that parable in particular and focus on the parables that follow. But when we looked in, at the parables in January, you might remember that there was two keys to unlocking parables to understanding what they mean. And those two keys are context, repetition. Context, parables are not just individual stories or pearls on their own. They're pearls on a string, all connected to the events around them, to the parables around them. So think about how it's all connecting in, but also repetition. And as you read through chapter 4, looking for repetition, it's not far. Reading into it and you'll see it. Let me help you see it. Have a look at verse 3. What's the first word that Jesus says? Listen. Then verse 9, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Verse 20, uh, those like seeds sown on the ground hear the word, welcome it and produce fruit. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let them listen. Verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. It's very clear what Jesus is telling the crowd, isn't it? He wants them to listen. It's about listening to the words of Jesus. That's what this chapter is about. And so we'll keep coming back to that in each of the parables we look at. Firstly, lamp on the stand. Do you put a lamp under a bed? Jesus asked. It sounds a bit like a question I might ask one of my daughters. Do you put a dead mouse in your sister's school bag? No, you put it in your brother's school bag. The answer's obvious. Do you put a lamp under a bed? Of course you don't put a lamp under a bed. The point of a lamp is to be out in the open, so it's lighting everything up. But what is he saying? What's this parable actually about? Don't you wish that Jesus would have explained every single one of his parables like he did the parable of the sower? But he doesn't. And so here we need to do the hard work, context, repetition. Jesus finishes the parable with a command again to listen. There's the repetition. And repeats it again in verse 24. So this has to be about listening again. Hearing. There's also two details in the parable that will help us and the surrounds. Verse 24, the word, of pay, the word for pay attention is actually the word for look. Literally, Jesus is saying, look at what you hear. The lamp is about seeing, but the way you see is by listening. Secondly, the word for brought in verse 21 is actually the word for come. So verse 21 literally reads, does the lamp come in order to be placed under a basket? The lamp, what is it? It's the words of Jesus. His words come to reveal, come to bring to light the truth of the kingdom and the truth of who we are, the reality of human sin, and the solution in Jesus. But as he speaks, it's as if the lamp is hidden under a bed. People aren't listening, aren't understanding. So how is the lamp revealed? Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let them listen. The words of Jesus is the lamp that will reveal the sins and the lies and the self-deceptions of everyone and the salvation in him. His words will judge on that last day and the empty religion and hypocrisy of the people will be revealed by his words. So listen now to the words of Jesus. Let that light shine and reveal your sins so that you can find forgiveness and life in Jesus before that day comes. Let the light shine. 
And as we've already seen, this strong command to listen continues in the next few verses. You see it in verse 24. Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Jesus isn't speaking in parables. He's just speaking directly here. The effort you put into listening to his words, hearing and understanding, that will reap rewards. He'll bless you with even more. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were making no effort to listen, no effort to understand. Jesus didn't say what they wanted to hear, so instead of listening, they just turned off, hardened their hearts and called him Satan incarnate. The crowd was listening. They heard the stories and found them interesting, but many of them left saying, wow, he's he's such a great speaker, isn't he? But what's the lamp about? What's the seed about? I just don't get it. Well, hopefully I'll come back next, next time and I'll see a miracle. Wouldn't that be awesome? Listen, Jesus says. Do the hard work of listening and you will see the truth. You will hear the truth. Seek to understand and that will be rewarded. Do that hard work. Fail to do it and even what you have will be taken away. Like it was for the religious leaders of Jesus' day. You know, we've we've all had people listen to our words, hear them, but got the impression they weren't really listening at all. The words were coming out of our mouth clearly enough and it was definitely going into their ears, but there was a blockage somewhere between the ears and the mind and the heart. The thing is, we've all done that to others as well, haven't we? We've all not listened where we should. I think teachers feel like this all the time. I know my history teacher did. Um, when, When we were looking to buy a house, there was a real estate agent who tried three times to show us a house we had already seen. Three times. Each time I said we didn't want to see it again. But he asked me again and asked me again. He heard the words, but he wasn't listening. And we've all done that. And all experienced that. Listening is more than just hearing words. The Pharisees heard the words of Jesus, but they weren't listening. The crowds heard the words of Jesus, but so many just wanted to demonstrate, hear it, see a demonstration of Jesus' power. What about us? Do we do the hard work of listening? Or do we just hear what we want to hear? The next two parables move on from the command to listen to Jesus' words in order to enter into the kingdom and be a part of it to explaining what the kingdom of God is like. And to understand what Jesus is saying to those gathered there on the beach that day, we need to appreciate what the people were expecting, what their understanding of the kingdom of God was and how Jesus was correcting it in these parables. The Jews thought that when the promised king came, everything was going to get put right straight away. All at once, the lame would leap like a deer, the blind would see, the deaf would hear, the desert land would blossom to life, the the enemies of God's people would be defeated, there would be restoration, victory, a new temple, a new land. That's the kingdom they were waiting for, the true freedom as they saw it, promised in the words of the Old Testament. And what does Jesus do? He comes and he speaks and speaks and speaks. Words, words, words. And so Jesus teaches them about the kingdom of God. What's it like? It's like, a, it's like a growing seed. How is the kingdom like a growing seed? Well, what's repeated in this parable? Let's have a look. The grain grows, verse 27, and the farmer does not know how. The grain grows, verse 28, all by itself. I wish my garden worked like that. You know, just plant a seed and up she comes. Um, my next door neighbour actually said, you're not a gardener, are you? We've been there 18 months and I, I can't believe it took her 18 months to work that out. Um, 
I'm sure farmers wished it worked like this as well. You know, plant the seeds, sit back, watch the cricket, play golf, spend time with friends, turn around, and voila, just a beautiful crop. But the kingdom of God is like that. It will just grow and grow and grow. This word will go out and it will bear fruit and it will change lives. People will be brought into the kingdom. It is unstoppable. God will grow his kingdom. But unlike the hopes of so many of the Jews, it's going to take time. It will take the passage of time to see that happen. God's kingdom has come in the person of Jesus, even if they couldn't see it. And nothing's going to stop it growing, not the Pharisees and their opposition, not, not the misunderstanding of the disciples of the crowds. It will grow. So look and listen and see. Second parable explaining what the kingdom of God is like is the parable of the mustard seed. How is the kingdom of God like a mustard seed? Two things, really. Tiny, insignificant beginning. Massive impact. The Jews were expecting the, um, a massive apocalyptic breaking into the kingdom of God. The king would come and bang, there it is, in all its wonder and power and glory. The Jews weren't looking for a mustard seed beginning. They were looking for a big crane to come and just drop the mustard tree all at once. No, small beginning, but massive effect. What's the small beginning? It's the powerful, in the context, it's the powerful, life-changing, kingdom-beginning, kingdom-growing word of Jesus. Mark finishes this time of teaching of Jesus with these words in verse 33. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these. What's the word? that Mark is speaking about here? Well, it's the same word that Jesus taught when, when he was in Capernaum and teaching the crowds in the house when he told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. It's the same word that the parable of the sower speaks about, that is sown, that is listened to, that bears a crop 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. It's the word that the sin-sick need to hear most of all. It's these words that bring in the kingdom, and grow the kingdom of God is the word of Jesus. It's the word of the creator that is healing the sick, that is bringing demons to their knees, that cleanses the leper that we see so powerfully at work in the very next thing that happens, that Mark tells us about in verses 35 to 41. So during the day, Jesus has taught the crowds and then he's taught a smaller group, the disciples, and those keen to listen to more, the sun's beginning to set. The crowds have begun to set off home. Jesus gathers the disciples and lets them know we're crossing the sea to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they get in the boat. They make their way across the sea. But then as night falls, a windstorm whips up the waves which crash into the boat. Some of the disciples, these are seasoned fishermen, some of them, used to fishing all of their life on the Sea of Galilee. They know this place, but they are scared for their life. So big is this storm. And the storm threatens to engulf the boat, send the occupants into the sea, and the disciples are madly trying to make sure that the, the boat doesn't sink as the waves crash over the side and they look into the stern and Jesus is sleeping? Like, really? And they shake him awake. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? 
Jesus stands up in the boat and he speaks to the storm like it's some power or person. Silence, be still. A sea that was once violent and threatening immediately becomes eerily, scarily quiet. The wind and the waves obey the voice, the word of their maker. When Jesus was in Capernaum, the day after healing multitudes of people from all sorts of sicknesses and casting out demons, the day after crowds came looking for him in the morning. They brought their sick and their dying and Jesus was nowhere to be found. The disciples found him and they said, everyone is looking for you. Then Jesus said some of the most shocking words, really, in the whole of the Bible. He said these words, let's go to the neighbouring villages so that I may preach there too. That's why I have come. When I'm reading Mark with people wanting to find out more about Jesus, these words of Jesus just are strange and hard to understand. This is not the Jesus they thought that they knew. People are sick and dying and he walks away and preaches. Yes, he preaches. Because his words are the words of the creator and responding to his words, listening, understanding is what we need more than anything else in the world. So, are we going to listen? When Jesus spoke all these parables to the crowds, there was two groups of people. There was the crowd who heard the words, who loved the stories, but didn't understand and walked away. Then there were the disciples and others who sought to do the hard work of really listening. And we meet them in verse 10 of chapter 4. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. They did the hard work of listening and wanted to find answers. You might be here today and you're investigating this whole Jesus thing. It's so good that you're here. What a great place to continue to investigate who Jesus is. Will you do the hard work of listening? Listening to Jesus. Listening with ears that want to understand rather than with ears that look for what you want to hear. Listen to the words of Jesus. Seek to understand what he says about himself in the scriptures. What he says about you. Listen. And you will hear in his words, in the scriptures, the words of your maker. Words that will change you. Change the way that you think about yourself. Change the way that you think about God. Change the way that you think about the world. And like a lamp on a stand, it will reveal the horror of your sin and point you to the only one that you can find the truth that you need to hear more than anything else. Those wonderful words. You're forgiven. Listen to the words of Jesus by reading the Bible. If you've come with a friend who loves the Lord Jesus and listens to him in the scriptures, then ask them to read it with you. I'm sure they'd love to help you do that. They'd jump at the chance. For those of us who are keen followers of the Lord Jesus, who love his word, who want to be a part of growing and, and, and uh, speaking the words of the kingdom, the way that we stay in the kingdom, the way that we grow the kingdom is the same way we started, the same way we came in, listening to the word of God so as to understand and let it change the way that we think and bring ongoing repentance and faith. So let me ask us this. Do we listen to the word of God so as to understand and move us or do we just listen to let it wash over us? 
have become, become too familiar with this word that we've forgotten that it's the words of our Creator? Do we come to God's word, to church, to growth group, to listen and be changed? Or to have our already settled ideas confirmed and to let others know how much we understand? When we hear the word of God preached or take part in growth groups, studying the word of God together, are we like the crowd listening to Jesus and we leave unchallenged and unchanged? Or do we leave rebuked and encouraged and moved? When we read the Bible, is it just a chore we do and we just tick the box, done that today, or is it something we do the hard work of listening to? Let me give you four practical hints of how we can listen to the words of our Saviour and Creator better. Firstly, pray. Before you read the Bible, before going to growth group, before coming to church, pray that God would change you, move you, grow you by his powerful word. And God loves answering that prayer, so pray it. Make it a habit. Secondly, prepare. Read the passage before you come to church. Read the passage, reflect on it, pray about it, and discuss, discuss it afterwards, after church. You know, ask, what hit you from God's word today? And be prepared to give an answer yourself. Thirdly, growth group. If you haven't joined a growth group yet, join one. I'm sure Chris would love to help you join one. It's never too late to do that. Meeting together with others who are keen to open God's word, do the hard work of listening to him together, is a profoundly powerful thing to do. Fourthly, you could do a VBC course this year. Work at understanding God's word better. Not as an intellectual exercise, but because listening to God's word, it takes work, it takes effort, it needs to be active. We need to take time to ask questions, find good answers, with others around us doing the same thing. And that's just one way to do that. So God has spoken. His kingdom has come in the word and work of Jesus. Let anyone who has ears to hear, let us listen. Why don't you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the profound and wonderful gift of your word. Forgive us for the times that we've just taken that for granted and not let it sink in just used it to make us feel good about ourselves. Father, help us as we continue to come to your word day in, day out. Help us, help us remember that it is you who speaks to us in it, has spoken in the person of your Son. And we pray that you would move us, encourage us, challenge us, rebuke us, change us. Help us to continue to respond in ongoing repentance and faith. And we pray that you would do this great work by your great and powerful spirit to the praise and glory of your holy name. Amen.